Hello and welcome to today's edition of QUT News, Views and Spews. I'm Susan Heatherington and joining me in the Spew studio today we have... Michael Scully. And... Emily Jackson. Stephen Harrington. Oh yeah, we have our biggest, brightest panel yet. We're going for quality and quantity today, Spews team. So... Obviously, we cannot start the week without talking about the weekend mega spack um, at the US Open. What do you make of that, Emily? Well, I actually woke up, I got up early yesterday morning so I could watch this with my dad. And um, when it was was all happening, I actually felt a little bit sorry for um, Serena. I I felt like she was just like in those heated moments where like, you know, you get like really angry and it's just easier to just like stay angry and just keep going than it is to like accept that you're probably being a little bit unreasonable and to take a step back. And I felt like she was really in one of those moods. So that's how I felt like, but then my dad was like, she's being ridiculous. Like he was total opposite to me. And then I kind of like did a reading on it yesterday. And yeah, I think she, she really, really did take it too far. Look, I, I think one of the interesting things is that I was a massive, massive fan of John McEnroe in the day, to be honest. And I was attracted at least part by the bad boy image and the you cannot be serious and even your grandmother could make a better call than that. And there is a degree to which maybe we do treat men and women players mm-hmm. differently. Yep. What do you think about that, Mike? Oh, I agree. And Johnny Mac, I think he made his he he made he made his first outburst at mm. the U.S. Open. So this certainly rings of you know. I was thinking when I heard about the uh, what was going on now. I thought of Johnny Macaro back in the '80s when he was shouting at the at the umpire. Mm-hmm. Stephen. Yeah, I was uh, I was just reminded of this. In fact, I I tweeted a story uh, from the Independent uh, yesterday. It was an opinion piece that I really enjoyed, which was basically explaining: Look, on the one hand, you can both feel sorry for Serena Williams in saying that, of course, she's going to from from her background and her upbringing and all the challenges that she's had in in actually dealing with genuine racism, where people have genuinely been out to get her in her career. Um, you know, for an instance where she, she you know got called what many people would say appropriately and was given the appropriate penalties in the game to in that moment to also think this is just yet another example of someone who's out to get me um, and trying to bring me down. That's a, that's a fair kind of response. So, and, and there was this, this kind of great line, I'm just bringing it up here on my phone, which was, you know, how can anyone with Serena's journey not have believed that the man was trying to, to screw her again? Um, and Samantha Maiden uh, tweeted about it, said the following things can all be true at once. Serena Williams is an American hero. Serena Williams has one heck of a temper and Serena Williams broke the rules and those things can yeah. be true at the same time. So it's no wonder why it has been such a divisive issue. Yeah, and look, I think that part of the problem for me is that in the heat of the moment, I absolutely get that all of those things would be true at once. I, I find it problematic to be honest, on a number of levels. And one was that the coach justified the coaching from the stands by everyone does it. Well, I'm sorry, but we've heard too much of that. Mm. It's okay because everyone does it defence. It is against the the laws of the game. And Mm. the, the fact that everybody was taking drugs in the Tour de France or whatever, in no way makes it right. I, I, and I think to afterwards not say, okay, um, that was also true is is a problem. 
And in caught in, in the middle of this is our winner, mm. is no, Paul Naomi Osaka, who's the first Japanese woman to win a, a, a major open championship, was booed. Yeah. Uh, it was crying. It was horrible. Yeah, and New York's a hard town, but yeah. <laughs> uh, and look, Australian foot sports fans are, are no better. We like our own to a point that is that is um, parochial and you know, that yeah. is horrible. But that was just wrong at every level. And like the that's just like a peak of her career. What yeah. she just and for it to just be, yeah, it was. I did. Younger. I liked. I don't know if you saw like during the presentation. I think Serena was asked a question about um, something about the, like how she thought the outcome was and she said, oh, I don't want to answer this question right now. I think we should take the time to just let Naomi have this moment. And so I I liked what she, she Yeah, it, it did feel a little too little too late, <laughs> yeah, to, oh, to be honest. Yeah. But, but it's better than, than not at all. But, mm-hmm. you know, the media does have um, some questions to answer here too because although... Um, there's a lot of public interest in this. Still, out on the top of the Rockefeller Center, uh, this morning the questions were being asked of Naomi about what she felt of of Serena. Mm. No, drop it, guys, yeah. drop yeah. it. Let her talk about her own yeah. her own win. And you know, there was also a, a whole lot about yeah you know, the petulance, the bad behavior, and the fact mm. that Serena brought her child into it. The mother mm. angle was. A little bit yucky. I think, like at the end of the day, like she did break the rules. Like, did you see the the racket? Yeah. yeah. Like, it's it was too I far mean, that she's yeah. yeah. I think she just has to take responsibility. Yeah. And the fact that the men get away with it, I think, is actually a a commentary on the values that we and the role models of men's sport, and not the fact that the women should do it as well. Yeah, and this 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 also comes hot on the heels of the uh, debate about the um, dress standards at the French Open. Right. Um, saying, yeah, 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 absolutely. You know, and it and it's that that was heavily layered in um, the in racial. Uh, yeah, ra- racial and and yeah, I, I, they had those kind of undertones to that that discussion, and and you know talking about respect um and and i think that you know it, that's kind of evidence that there's a lot more going on here than than you know just simple um code violations but you know of course you also can't get away from those as well if you're a sports person you live and die by them so mm. and now to the sport of politics which is um about to fire up again in in australia parliament sits today after the 40th consecutive news poll Loss. What are we expecting to see play out in Parliament? Uh, I imagine that the uh, Labor Party is going to be really kind on Scott on Skymo, yeah, Stephen. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I mean, there's this sense of inevitability at the moment of the the you know coalition's loss at the next election. There is a sense of we are waiting for when that's going to be, and I think you know. Um, the the idea of changing leaders, you know, because you know Malcolm Turnbull was unpopular, um, you know, yeah, it's proved proved yet again to be you know just a, a straight out terrible idea. And I think that what we've got essentially at the moment is the Liberal Party fighting against itself in the sense that on the one hand they know well they either know or they're they're ignorant to the fact that their policies and their positions on a number of issues are deeply unpopular. And thinking instead that it's the leader who is the problem—it's actually, you know, much more fundamental than that. 
um, and and so there's this this lurching backwards and forwards. And Tony Abbott was was you know fairly strongly to the right, deeply conservative. He was deeply unpopular. Um, Malcolm Turnbull was more popular, and you know one would say that he he had a much better uh, relationship with the electorate in general. But of course, he didn't have that strong relationship with the party room. And you know this is just playing out, and it's just this this sort of cycle that we're just everyone's I think is just waiting now for um, an election. And Jess, have you voted before? How old are you? Uh, Emily. Emily. <laughs> I was just laughing. Hello, Emily. Uh, Emily, have you voted? I have. I'm 21. So. You're, you're 21. Yes. What, what is your sense of um, what young voters are making of this circus and the, and the pack of clowns? I think people, I think it's kind of just like going over the heads of sort of people. It just moves so fast. It's happening so fast, all of this drama and everything that people just like don't, can't keep up and they don't really care. Like I live with three other 20, 21 year olds and I was like constantly updating them in our group chat about what's going on like um, last week when this was all playing out. But yeah, I don't know. People don't, I just don't think that it's, it's hard to keep up. I, I think, sorry if I, I, I digress then on this topic, but I, I just think that it is the, you know, people wonder why, why there is a skepticism and a cynicism about politics out there. And, you know, it is no wonder then when when professional politicians behave in such a self-centred manner that then you have then people who are seem to be outsiders, like your Donald Trumps, etc., um, who suddenly become super popular. Because, you know, there, there is a, as a documented phenomenon in the States, which is the people who voted for Barack Obama in 2012 and then voted for Donald Trump in 2016... And the thing that those two politicians have in common is that they were the the biggest sort of change change agent. You know, Donald Trump was going to be the person that was going to tip the table over and start again, as compared to Hillary Clinton, who was just going to kind of keep things going. Yeah. Um, it's no wonder why there is, you know, such cynicism and and such a thirst for something, anything different in politics when this is how how things are going. Is, do you, do you feel that sense? Yeah, completely. As a twenty one year old. You have not seen a one single elector who's done gone their full term. Yeah, hmm. I think it was the last one. The last John Howard in two thousand and four. Yeah, yeah. The last time a prime minister yeah. won an election and then saw it through to the next one. Yeah. So how does that make you feel? Uh, it's a bit ridiculous. I yeah, I don't know. It doesn't put much faith in Australian politics, and I think it's, I think, internationally people just must think we're look a bit ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, now, as a kind of a, an aside to that, which will also link us to US politics, one of the things that is supposedly going to happen in federal parliament this week is that the Liberal Party women who have been saying that they were bullied loudly and repeatedly are now going to name names. What do we feel about this kind of um, veil of of whistleblowing, of um, anonymous leaks and, and so on that's been going on to this point? I I think it's incredible that it's taken some people this long to work out that the Liberal Party has a problem with women. Mm-hmm. The This has been pointed out for years. You know, is it such a shock that the party that was led for a long time and then led into government by a man who stood in front of 
um, you know, placards that said, you know, um, that Julie Gillard was a bitch and a witch wow. and the rest, um, suddenly discovers that they have a gender, you know, um, issue. Uh, you know, I just, I, f I find it spectacular that uh, um, it's taken this long, but um, yeah. Yeah, no, spot on. I, I was out of the country, but I was surprised by the language around Julia when she, when she was the PM. And, and I was in Washington, D.C. when that was going down, so I was stunned to see that that language was in play, only to see it happen again with Hillary Clinton. So, you know, I, I can't call foul because it was as bad on the other side of the Pacific Ocean. And, and now we're going to move to the other side of the Pacific Ocean with this anonymous um, leaking and so on. The New York Times opinion piece written anonymously, which the Times tells us came from a, um, an, a highly placed insider within the White House. Yes. A lot of pointing at Vice President uh, Pence because of the word lodestar, mm -hmm. which nobody on the planet up yeah, other than right. him has ever, I'm ever... I'm sure I know what it means. Well, yeah, I, that's I, honestly I, the first time I've ever heard that. No, well, that's, that's exactly <laughs> right. It means a, a, a bright light, a, yes. a, a leader, apparently, yeah. which we now all know because we've Googled it, all the news yeah. organisations. Um, was the Times right in running this piece, or that's was it gutless? That's a question, yeah. It's a tricky question. I mean, uh, running anonymously sourced material in a newspaper like or a uh, media uh, concern like the New York Times is quite a tr a troubling. But they said ahead of that that they knew the source, that they, they were familiar with the credibility of the source, and that they were the New York Times was laying its own credibility on the line when they published this essay from inside the White House. Now, the essay itself is pretty alarming because it talks about how Trump's uh, uh, the people around Trump have been watering down, in some cases, taking some data away from him because they didn't want to have him react to it because they didn't think he had the judgment uh, to make sound decisions uh, regarding all of this. So it, it's a very alarming uh, uh, piece of writing to appear in the public forum, and you're, you're seeing both sides of the aisle, the Republicans and the Democrats, raising questions about it. Stephen? Um, I, I can strongly recommend, and I, in fact, I'm I'm nearly finished listening to it myself. But I can strongly recommend another podcast on this topic, which is um, a discussion with I've forgotten his name. I was just looking up two seconds ago. James Dow, who's the op-ed editor at the um, New York Times, on the New York Times podcast, The Daily, uh, just talking about a little bit of the background and the decisions that they made, and the um, a little bit of the the response to that. Uh, thoroughly recommend uh, listening to it. Um, look, I, I, I think what's funny is that nothing, nothing in that uh, that op-ed told us told really anyone anything new, apart from the extent to which you know maybe you know his team, you know Donald Trump's team, is um, actively working against him. But, but you know, there is no surprises whatsoever that you know he's, um, you know. Essentially, temperamentally unfit for the office that he's holding. <laughs> uh, no one's surprised. No think, one is shocked. Really, I think it's a bit. Yeah, I, it's it's not a surprise, but I think it's a bit sad that they've had to do this like anonymously to. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I personally give the person that wrote it absolutely zero credit. Yeah. If you if you want, there is basically has been. Uh, this came up in the um, 
the Pod Save America guys were, were saying this the other day. There has been an administrative coup d'etat uh-huh. in America. Right. This is, you know, unprecedented. This is like, you know, ringing the alarm bells. Right. This is like DEFCON 4 kind of like, there's a really major, you know, something major happening here. Yeah. Um, and the fact that that person, in, the person in question decided to write an anonymous op-ed instead of quitting and saying, hey, Republicans, you should be terrified by what is going on. You know, the only thing standing between us and even more significant crises is, you know, a bunch of people ripping, you know, um, documents off Donald Trump's desk or hoping that, or just flat out ignoring some of, uh, you know, what was it? One of the revelations was, um, or maybe it was from Bob Woodward's book. I can't remember which one it was. They both have had similar themes this week. But, you know, the fact that Donald Trump just said, oh, we should just take out Bashar al-Assad. Mm-hmm. Um, we should just kill him. And yeah. the, the military people just has flat out ignored him and just said, yeah, let's just pretend he never said that. You know, that that is going on is hugely, hugely problematic. Mm-hmm. I, I would say, you know, and a lot of people have said this as well, it's just quit your job, go public and do something about the problem. So you don't buy the line that you can do more from within, that you can bring change from within the government? <laughs> no, we're not, we're not buying that? No, because that's not how it's supposed to work. It's no. supposed to work is that the person who is elected president is the one who ends up making decisions. You are an unelected official. Um, you don't get to then just take over. And no idea of, of protection of whistleblowers? We're not buying that either? Oh, look, I, I think that the New York Times was right to run it anonymously. I think that we need to know this, but um, the, the the actual person and the people who are doing this, um, yeah, shouldn't get any sympathy or credit. What do you think, Michael? No, I agree, Stephen. I think you're right and spot on. It is kind of a coup d'etat to have people inside the White House usurping the decisions being made by the chief executive. But at the same time, uh, we have to continue to ask ourselves, this person is adequately trained, has the mental or um, ethical background to be in, in a position of power. It's scary. It is scary. And it does actually make some of the um, of the fictional depictions of the White House, like things like Scandal, actually look quite moderate. Right. To, to be honest, the things that we've got, oh, come on, now you've jumped the shark, well, now you've taken it too far. What, my my favourite genres of, of uh, video on the internet at the moment are the ones of, you know, taking everyday video from, uh, from you know, Donald Trump, you know, struggling to work the phones, for example, in a conversation <laughs> with the uh, president of Mexico, right. and then setting it to the, the closing credits of Veep, um, yes. which, you know, like this, this, you know, it's, it's, it's extraordinary the extent to which this is... Uh, really happening and and constantly I you know things are happening all the time in America again which is, I'm certainly not the first person to point this out that if if you know a journalist had uncovered this you know that there were secret communications that um, you know Donald Trump was angry at his attorney general that you know that they were his department was pursuing pros- prosecution for uh, a couple of Republicans you know and and was you know essentially trying to put his finger on the scale of justice that would be you know, an impeachable offence. But he does it on Twitter and does it out in the open and everyone's just kind of blasé about it. You know, right. We have to constantly realign our brains to take in what is happening. And I think it's so often people are just... Um, we're kind of... Uh, we've become a little bit immune to this, yeah, the gravity think, of what's happening. I don't think people are surprised anymore about anything. I think yeah. it's just... Oh, there's just another... Another one. Just yeah. another day in politics. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, that's today's day in politics, sport, and er- everything else. Thank you, Stephen. 
Ah, uh, you're very welcome. Thank you, Emily. You're very welcome. <laughs> Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Susan. And this is the QUT News, Views and Spews team for Monday the 10th of September. We will catch you tomorrow. Thank <laughs> you.